Hi, I'm Camila Peebles, and this is Real Charlotte Living, a weekly podcast highlighting Charlotte area lifestyle, business, and real estate. Today, I have a very special guest here, David Kennedy, president of the Canopy Realtor Association. We're going to discuss some of the most significant issues and trends of the Charlotte real estate market today. David is a realtor and property manager with TR Lawing Realty, one of the oldest accredited property management firms in North and South Carolina. Prior to becoming president of the Canopy Realtor Association, David served as board of director and treasurer during the development and construction of the new $28 million headquarters, which as he would like to note, was completed on time and under budget. David, Welcome to Real Charlotte Living. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. You said weekly podcast. That's a lot of content. Congratulations <laughs> on that. I do appreciate you talking about how I got it in on time and under budget for that building. $28 million. People ask me now, how do you know so much about the building? It was like, I, I, I helped. I was there. Yes. I put the ver- I put the goggles on to see what it was going to look like before it was built. And yes. I had to sign off on everything to say this is going to be what the walls are going to look like, the the exterior construction. Yeah, that's a huge project to manage. I I put my name on it, and every time I got in the car to go home, I was like, man, if this building looks like crap, it's going to have my name (laughs) on it. They'd be like, David Kennedy, he did that. (laughs) And and you'd have these, like, granite, you know, stones or concrete. They're like, which one you want? They all three look alike. And I'm like, if you don't write something on there, I'm like, I'm right. this is the one we picked, right? And they're like, yeah, write my name on it. I sure as hell hope so, So... So, David, one of the questions I wanted to start with is, you know, what is the Canopy Realtor Association? Because I feel like for realtors, a lot of us know what it is, but for the average person, it's like, who is what and why should I care? So it, it is an overwhelming concept. And, and my approach to what it is is, is from the days when I was a treasurer and you had to kind of have be fiscally responsible. So the Canopy Realtor Association has a 501c6 IRS designation, which means, you know, we're a membership-based organization. Technically, we're a trade association and we specifically promote business interests of our members. We have over 16,000 members um, in our association currently. We're turning 100 this year. Um, And yes, and in this... (laughs) Um, market especially, um, real estate is still a relationship business. Yes. And the tools realtors need to interpret the real estate market and craft their clients' unique approach to the real estate market uh, is is a high-level view of what we do. Okay. And Canopy, it used to be the Charlotte Regional Real Estate Well, you know, here's the fun part. So now we have more, we have more than just Charlotte. In there, right? Yeah, so that's why we changed. So yes. it's a great lead-in question. So we still technically are the Charlotte Regional Realtor Association doing business as okay. Canopy Realtor I Association. Have a few I get that. Yeah, and so <laughs> we did Canopy because we were we were expanding to the extent that um, you know people that didn't live in Charlotte uh, were a part of the Charlotte Regional Realtor mm-hmm. Association. So they wanted something that would not have you know Charlotte so much in the name that could confuse their clients or, yeah. or, or their members. Um, so we chose Canopy. And Canopy, Canopy it um, implies coverage. Yep. 
Um, you know, if you geographically, topography wise, when you come in on the airplane, you see tree coverage. We're about 43% uh, covered in trees here in this general area, which is one of the leading uh, percentages in the United States. So just a literal interpretation of canopy is just the, the tree coverage. Yeah. And obviously there's coverage when it comes to your business. Um, in your community, there's wraparound services for what we do at our association in terms of you know, once you get started, how to get educated, get plugged in, and what, what are all the things that we do uh, to kind of help you uh, be uh, uh, productive uh, within a community uh, where hopefully all housing needs are met. Okay. Now, what are some of the other things that the um, Realtor Association does for the Charlotte community? Um, so community-wise, um, I think the two big things are the Canopy Housing Foundation. Yes. Um, and our government affairs, REBIC, um, and I'll get into the acronym in a minute, but I'll okay. start with the Canopy Housing Foundation. That's a 501c3 okay. nonprofit. And what that does is it has, um, we have a schedule of events uh, that we do uh, to highlight um, home ownership, address uh, critical housing needs in Charlotte. Yeah. Um, some of the highlight reel for what we do is um, we have a community grants program okay. uh, that was formalized back in 2009. That's when I was in Leadership Academy. Okay. Uh, so we formalized that in 2009. And since that formalization, you know, we've um, awarded uh, right around $700,000. Okay. okay. And so what we do is you, we have people apply for those grants. Um, for example, um, Beds for Kids, uh, our city councilman, uh, Malcolm Bram, does okay. that. and. It's just kids that don't have a bed. Yeah. Quite frankly, that's yes. exactly what it is. Yeah. And so he I used to be on their board. I know he could I apply for it. Okay. Ironically, I chose that one just out yeah. of thin air. Um, and so they apply for a grant, and we give them money, um, and it helps provide beds. And we try to choose these organizations that don't have a ton of overhead. So they're small. Yeah. They're small. They don't have like a. They have a. They don't have anybody on I think the payroll. They just got new space. Yeah. So they don't but have they a lot of people on the like payroll. A warehouse. Right. And yeah. So and then we help do that. You know, we help do that, um, help, we fund things so they can make those type of decisions. Okay. Um, so we do things like that. And um, we, that housing foundation at Canopy, we only have, I believe, one full-time employee that's dedicated to the foundation. That's okay. our executive director, Terry Marshall. Now we have shared services. You know, we have people that work for the foundation and also maybe for the MLS and association that, that you know, we, their time they cards are, are different, you know, based on what specifically they're doing. But as far as, you know, full-time overhead to you know, paying somebody's salary, it's just one okay. uh, that I'm aware of, and um, I should be aware of it all. Uh, so um, there's, <laughs> there's that. a lot going on. And then there's REBIC, and REBIC is the um, Real Estate Building Industry Coalition. Okay. And that's specifically um, advocacy for um, government. Uh, so we are... Um, we partner a lot with uh, RPAC, which is um, the Realtor Political Action Committee. So yes. we... Um, we solicit for funding uh, so that we can fund candidates to get elected that would be sensitive to, um, you know, real estate issues. Yeah. So whenever we found that whenever somebody, at, particularly at municipal level here in Charlotte, local level, when they're talking about bike lanes and and uh, uh, bus stops mm -hmm. and sidewalk sizes, setbacks of what you can build and what you can't build, um, we need to be at the table. We need to be yes. able to say this is what you not need to adhere to. And yes. that really comes into play now when we're doing the 2040 plan. Yes. So aspirational plan um, that barely passed 65. It's basically volume one of what they originally intended to do. Um, now they've 
uh, release the first um, draft, draft of yeah. the UDF, the Unified Development Ordinance. Ordinance. I try to be mindful of these podcasts if I use acronyms to define them. Yes. I, well, um, I, if you don't, I will ask you yes. just because, like, I know what they mean. I'm actually on a, um, a couple of boards. Yeah. One is the Charlotte Regional Transportation Coalition. All right. And then the South Park Association of Neighborhoods, which are all very uh-huh. connected to those issues and involved. So, so one, so one of the ways, so we we talked about the foundation where we do community grants. Um, they also do things like Realtors Care Day, for 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 yes. instance. Have you Love participated that. in that? Okay, so we've been doing that since '09 as well, and that's probably brought over a million dollars in economic impact to our community as well. Um, that's uh, we've got projects here in Mecklenburg County, up in Iredell County. Um, we try to have one in Haywood County this year. Um, COVID kind of put the damper on that, but they okay. instead did a food drive. They got about 5,000 tons of, of food. I don't know how you get 5,000 tons, but they got a ton of food. Okay. Um, <laughs> pardon the pun. Uh, and that, just those two specific things, uh, we do strides for shelter that um, it's a 5K. The 5K, yes, I did and that. they that um, This year's uh, recipient was Hope Haven, or Hope House, excuse me, yes. uh, up in Huntersville. Um, and... Um, that's transitional living for moms with children that okay. need a place. Uh, so they got a big main house, about four bedrooms, and then they'll have three, uh, I think, smaller dwellings. Okay. Or two bedrooms, two baths that, that can kind of, after they're in there for about six months or so, they can transition into out of the group living into okay. a place of their own, still on the property. Okay. Um, and we help with like a book drive, and I think we're going to, the specific money we raise will help convert like a garage into a library or a play place, something like that. Okay. Okay. Uh, but Rebit, getting back to that. Specifically within the um, the environment currently is y- you need someone who can help interpret what the city's trying to do. Okay. Um, there's a, the, the the city that 2040 plan is very aspirational. It's a way to try to bring about equitable growth in Charlotte, and we need that because there are people coming to Charlotte in droves, yeah. <laughs> uh, and we can get to that. I know. And then, yes. But then the UDO is basically how this aspirational plan is applied. It's the application. It's going to okay. be eventually the laws and the rules. Yeah. And so when we read the UDO, and we would be read it, and everybody's got a specialty. Not very, very few people can say, "I'm one person. I can read the UDO and get it." Yeah. There's, there's very few people that can do that, and I think it's important for me as the president of Canopy Realtor Association to say, "Look, I don't get it." Yes. And it's okay. Yes. I mean, I read it and I work really hard to get it, but I have to lean on the expertise because within it's a very academic approach. Nothing wrong with that. Yes. Um, truth be told, I think it's a bit homogenous, um, and there is some good things in that and that uh, there's consistency uh, throughout, but every parcel of land is, is unique. It's different. Yes. So you really can't approach it um, the same way. You can't use a cookie cutter approach. Right, to- right. But they want to try to implement it to an extent uh, so that there's equitable growth. So that's another yeah. like 50,000 yeah. foot high level view at all that. So that's what yeah. Rebic does as far as uh, a direct community impact and Rebic's part um, of, uh, it's basically us, the Canopy Realtor Association, we partner with the Builders Coalition and um, Apartment Association, okay. folks like that, yeah. Okay. Lots of fun stuff. There are, it is. And, uh, <laughs> and then, you know, we have our MLS. Yes. So that's, um, that, that's almost an indirect, um, I guess, uh, benefit to the community. It's be- the MLS is a, um, it's the marketplace. It's yes. where people bring their listings. 
Uh, you can't just go to the store and see all the houses for sale. Yes. Um, so yeah, it, so it's it's stuck on a piece of paper. I know, <laughs> I know. So you, it is a wholly owned subsidiary of the Canopy Realtor Association. It's been around since 19, 1950. Wow. So seventy one years. Wow. That means we've gone through some economic times where it can be difficult, and we've still. Yes. Uh, persevered. Yes. Um, we're governed by a board of directors, just like the association is. Okay. They're all active realtors. Um, we make good, sound policy decisions to make sure we don't go broke. Yes. Uh, we, do, <laughs> we do things like make sure we have budgeted reserves in case of a catastrophe. But functionally, um, we provide that platform for the marketplace that currently adheres to, I think, which is a good thing, is the principle of neutrality. So we're not favoring one business model or one yes. firm over the other. Yep. It's a neutral platform where you bring your property to list for sale. You have to offer you have to offer cooperation and compensation between uh, listing agents and realtors. Yes. You, know, you got to be able to compensate, you know, another agents for their role in procuring the sale. Um, we comply with NAR. Yeah. Uh, we self-regulate ourselves. Uh, we've got an ombudsman uh, program. We've got... Um, uh, those, uh, if, if, if you get mad at each other instead of having, a, you know, suing <laughs> each other. Mediation. We, we have mediation and arbitration. Yes, yes you got that. So we provide that too. So We can play well in the sandbox I know together. if your client's pissed off, they're not, excuse me, if your client is upset. <laughs> You're fine. Um, then uh, you don't have to go out and spend money on an attorney. Yes. Because what if I was an attorney? I, I'd have you, I haven't really said much and I've already billed you for 15 minutes. Yes. You know, so those attorneys. They don't cut to the chase, man. They got to get those billable hours up, man. <laughs> so, David, let's get to um, let's get to the nitty gritty. All right. What are the top five issues facing the Charlotte housing market? You know, the the the, the first one I think is um, inventory. Yes. So we'll start there. Yes. Um, inventory is, um, I think, the number one okay. thing. And the reason I think inventory is the number one thing, and let's, let's, before I kind of go into all my reasons, um, the current inventory situation is about the um, median days on market is three. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by median days on market is the number of days a house is on the market before it, it goes under contract. Um, average days on market is about... Uh, 21, 24, or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, so in a balanced market, average days on market would not be 21 or 24. It would be more like 180. Yeah. And that's national. So it, different markets can differ, um, can, can vary. Yes. Um, but we're nowhere near a balanced market, regardless of where it is. Whether it's 90 days, 100 days, we're still um, very much in a pinch when it comes to inventory. Now... How did all this happen? (laughs) (laughs) So I I think um, I try to frame that conversation about how we're in such an inventory pinch um, by going back to the Great Recession, 2007, 8, and 9. Now, the headlines there were foreclosures and short sales. But what what a lot of people don't remember or maybe didn't realize is that the small and medium-sized builders, they went out of business. Mm -hmm. So back then, you you would build spec homes. You would speculate that people would come and buy these homes. And then once everyone uh, had to foreclose and short sale, they were no longer financially qualified to buy. And so they couldn't sell. Yeah. And they took a bloodbath. They went out of, bed, they went out of uh, business and they never came back. Yeah. So as a result, um, since 2007, 8, and 9, year after year after year after year, more 
households were formed than houses, houses. were built. Yes. Uh, to adequately house the households. So for, for over a decade, we've had a national housing shortage. Yeah. Um, it's just not been so egregious. Yep. If you look at it That's over the I course of one year, it has not been egregious. But if you look at it over an aggregate, you're like, oh, wow. Now, what's exacerbated it is the pandemic. Yeah. And not necessarily the health aspect of the pandemic, but specifically, I think, uh, the pandemic-infused phenomenon of remote working. Yes. So now you are no longer tethered to where you work. You don't have to, when it comes to buying a house, you don't have to say, well, how far is my commute going to be? Mm-hmm. Used to be you'd say, I'm trading a commute time for affordability or vice versa. But now you can live wherever you want. So it's easier for people to move. So I began the framework of the conversation that says we're in an inventory pinch with the Great Recession. And I'm kind of ending it with the Great Reshuffling. <laughs> I you like know? that. It's, it's great so, we can, <laughs> so if you can move, when, when people say, okay, I can move wherever I want, mm-hmm. where do I want to move to? And the answer is Charlotte. <laughs> so when you look at um, top 10 places to live in the United States, Charlotte is in there yes. uh, on whatever, uh, based on whatever criteria you want. We're in the top 10. Sometimes we're in the top five, depending yeah. on what article you're looking at. Because it's pretty amazing. Yeah, we are. The climate's not too crazy. We have a relatively low cost of living. Now, let me talk about relatively low cost of living. If you've lived in Charlotte for your entire life or for the last 20, 30 years, it's not relatively low to you. Yes. Because it's your... It's your you've la- seen it change. Rate of inflation. It's your level of income. It's your pay. What we're seeing now is people coming from... In the top three places, this is according to the... Uh, business alliance here Mm -hmm. and their numbers. Top three locations that are migrating to Charlotte are New York, New Jersey, um, DMV, which is DC, Maryland, and Virginia, and then Miami. And all three of those markets are significantly more expensive than Charlotte. So when they come down, it's from their perspective that they say, hey, it's a relatively low cost of living. What happens is they come down with buying power because their rate of inflation, their real estate values are much higher. Mm -hmm. And so they can come down to our market with buying power because they're no longer tethered to where they live. Yes. So back, back when they bought, um, the, the people that the the places they worked, they had to pay enough for you to afford to live close to your office so you could work. Yeah. Well, now that's not the same. Yeah. So now they can, they can take the benefit of that and bring it down here and they're just outbidding everybody. Yeah. That's why you see, you know, X number of dollars over listing yep. because they come in and say, oh, I'll, I'll take it for list price. And they're like, oh, somebody's interested in it too. Oh, I got to outbid you. No problem. And they just. I've got the cash here. Yeah, man, they, they make it happen, man. So inventory <laughs> is the number one. Yes. So the second is affordability. Okay. And when you look at affordability, the, the, the state of housing, uh, the UNC Charlotte state of housing, they conduct a, a you know, research every year. Okay. It just recently came out. And they, um, they, they categorize everything with 90th percentile, 75th, median, 25th, and 10th percentile homes. As the 10th percentile of homes uh, always has the sharpest increase. And you can't, the median, sorry, the, the median price for a home is about 285 in Charlotte. Median is a hard concept for a lot of people to understand. So if we go average, we're talking three hundred fifty, three hundred fifty nine thousand dollars yeah. yeah. uh, You know, I'm no agents that have buyers, tons of buyers, 20 buyers mm-hmm. that are qualified for 350, 359, but they don't see them. Yeah. They don't see that in the market. So we see, it's just the inventory is not there. But the affordability factor is such that that which people are qualified to buy, it is not available 
right now. So you just need things that are affordable and, and, and that's just challenging based upon you know, the cost of land, the yeah. cost to develop and build. Yeah. Again, about high level. How do we define affordable? So I have my own <laughs> proprietary recipe. Okay. So affordability is, is relative. So when yes. somebody says affordable housing, yes. I think it gets a negative connotation. Yes. So I'd love for people to start saying, you know, housing for all, uh, housing that's available for all, because what, what's affordable to you is relative. Yep. You know, if you ask Nelson Rockefeller 100 years ago, how much money is enough? He's got 300 billion. And the, the, the biggest billionaires these days has like 100 billion. Yeah. And we're like, hey, Nelson. Sorry, Mr. Rockefeller. Yeah. <laughs> how much money is, is enough money? And he's, he's like, just a little bit more. So everybody, nobody's got enough money. Right. And nobody's going to say, I got enough. You always want more. So uh, affordability is, is relative. Yeah. Um, where we want to, where we see the most need is, you know, 80% AMI, which is people who are making 80% of the area median income, which that median income in Charlotte is what, 60 grand maybe? Yeah. So um, you need to make about $60,000 to be the median income. And if you make that amount of money, there is absolutely nothing available for you to buy. It represents about 4% of the houses yeah. sold in okay. Charlotte. Okay. Um, if you go up to a little bit higher, maybe the 75th percentile, I mean, it's just guessing, but um, at that 350, 359, I know this, mm -hmm. 350, 359,000, those houses in that price range and below 35, that represents 35% of the yeah. home sold. Median represents less than 5% of the home sold. Okay. So it's all the, so what's happened, the, the pandemic hits people different ways. Yes. So the houses being traded in the MLS right now, back and forth, bought and sold, they're, the majority of them are being bought and sold by people who have only switched from their office computer to their home computer mm -hmm. during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And the people who are already affordably challenged based on lack of inventory and affordability, the ones that actually have to go somewhere to work, yes. service industry, construction industry, yes. you know, Retail. they can't go there. Retail. Yeah. They can't go there because there was a stay-in-place order, and it's like, yeah. well, you're just getting further and further behind. Yeah. So yeah. Um, affordability would be number two. I mean, those, to me, those two are head and shoulders above anything else. Yeah, I definitely, you know, I see it in, I would even say, I, I, from my perspective, I even see, like, even with my own clients who maybe they can afford a four, five, six hundred thousand dollar home, but because of the shortage in inventory and the high level of competition from people coming from the outside and multiple offers, and maybe they don't necessarily, they have some excess cash, mm -hmm. but maybe not enough to go over that. So they have what I call buying down is the strategy ah. that I've done with a lot of my clients. It's like, yes, you can well afford a half a million dollar home, but now we're looking at 350 yeah. homes just so we can win. Because at the right, right now, it's right. about winning, so you know? You bring up um, how, you know, how I mentioned previously that the, the lowest 10th percentile has the mm -hmm. sharpest increase. That is the end result of mm -hmm. what you just described. Because most people, when they start their search, they're going to look for the highest amount they can afford. Mm -hmm. And if they can't find anything available there, well, they can't go higher than what they can afford. Yeah. So they have to go lower. And so the people that 
X amount go lower, and then the people at the X amount, it just yes. trickles so now down. You're pushing the people that right. are like, if you were close to being a, yes. you're getting pushed out even more. To those people who can only afford yes. to buy that, that the level of housing on the first rung of the home ownership ladder, they're completely pushed out, yep. they're pinched out because everybody's buying down. Yeah. Yeah. Trickle down. Yes. Yeah. So. All right, number three. Um, this is a stretch, and and just spoiler, I don't have a four and a five. Okay. So <laughs> this, this is a stretch. I think one thing it would be, um, this is something that came up, and it just kind of died on the vine. Okay. Which I think is not necessarily a bad thing, but a source of income discrimination. Okay. And um, people, I think, primarily um, were... afraid or, or, or they thought that there was a disparate impact based upon uh, someone's, the source of someone's income. So there's two yeah. ways to look at this. Okay. Um, so source of income discrimination when it comes to buying and selling, mm -hmm. buying a house. So what we found, we being Canopy, and this is another way it's a direct impact to our community in our fair and affordable housing advisory group. Okay. Um, we found in late 2019, that um, there was a DPA checkbox on the offer to purchase contract. And what we found out was that, or what we thought was that that was causing a disparate, disparate impact to minorities. Okay. Because they would use um, down payment assistance. So what, what, we, what, the, what we did was we wrote a letter identifying this and then the folks at the state level on the state forms committee, what they did was they completely dismantled item five that okay. says this is how this is the financial aspect of how you're going to pay for everything and we kind of dismissed the nomenclature which is down payment assistance because mm -hmm. people can be hesitant to do down payment assistance because they're like well if it's a fha there may be strings attached i got to make sure my my windows are up to up to the certain standards yes, you know and, yeah. and so which you should anyway but not everybody does <laughs> yeah um, and that's okay and um but so what what they've done is they said okay let's break it down to the common denominator which a lot of times down payment assistance is like a second mortgage yeah so like if you're rich and you want to buy something you may have to take out a second mortgage on something you're uh, like a, a home you already own or something yeah. you say ah it's a second it's like, mortgage you're like okay that's fine um, but now if you're doing a second mortgage, which is what down payment assistance is a lot of times, yes. when you're doing a second mortgage, you don't just write down, well, I'm taking a second mortgage. I'm doing down payment assistance. And it's like a negative stigma. And people are like, well, why, do you, why are you still being specific with how you're doing things? How are we winning? I was like, you're not necessarily winning or losing. You're specifically defining what it is yes. and not just checking a box that can isolate a certain population that, by the way, I think has been historically disenfranchised from owning their own home. So um, the source of income there, I think we've addressed okay. to an extent that I'm satisfied. The source of income when it comes to renting, I think, is centered around Section 8 vouchers. Okay. So what the argument is now, and I don't think it is a sound argument, okay. but it is the popular argument. Um, and we, we at Canopy, we've tried to get on these uh, tasks for task forces. They're going to talk about this, um, but we're not getting the look. We say, okay. hey, let us come in and talk about it. They're like, uh, people, other people get <laughs> They're like, no thanks. So, um, but source of income discrimination when it comes to rentals, you know, and I manage rental properties, so we'll take a pension, we'll take retirement, we'll take a 1099, a W-2, a paycheck, 
you know, a lot of times we, we can even take cash. Yeah. It, it, we figured out um, annuities, trust funds, okay. whatever. Okay. Um, sometimes we take supplementary security income. If you have a child that's getting, if you report that as income, we'll consider it okay. too. Um, and these are all acceptable. Yes. Now, what people have done, and I think in, in a good spirited way, but it's just slightly um, not congruent, is they have lumped Section Eight housing, a Section Eight housing voucher, okay. into all these um, forms of income. Okay. And my argument is that Section 8 housing voucher is not income at all. It's a voucher. Yeah. You don't collect that. You don't pay taxes on it. Yeah. It is a voucher that says this government entity will pay you, the landlord, money to let this person live there. Yeah. And people should have the right to say, you know, I don't want to participate in that government program. So the fact that it doesn't go to the participant, it is not income that goes into the participant's bank account. It's not income. It's not income. It's a voucher. Yeah. And so when we eliminate that from the argument, there really is no argument. Yes. Because you don't really want to force people to participate in a government program Yeah. Um, if they don't want to. So my solution, again, nobody wants to hear from me, <laughs> except for you apparently, um, is that you call, um, we, we got to do whatever we can to help in Olivia, yes. who does a Section 8, yes. um, uh, and, and figure out, okay, instead of Section 8 vouchers being for rentals, um, which they're not 100% for rentals. Some of it is for homeownership. We okay. really need to be doing it for um, homeownership. Yes. Um, so instead of that money in Section 8 vouchers going out to an investor into their pocket, yeah. put it, and they can live anywhere, yes. in, in, outside, out, out of state, out of country, instead yeah. of that money going out there, reinvest it here locally so that the person that is, is so you're not necessarily investing in just a person, you're investing in that person and a property. Yeah. So they have a place to stay. The money stays local. They're building equity. And that's something, particularly a lot of Section 8 participants, a lot of them are African-American, and yeah. they have lo- they have not had the opportunity for generational wealth because yes. they were discriminated against uh, for years. And so they can't go to the bank of mom and dad. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times the bank of mom and dad comes from owning a home. Two-thirds of the middle class, mm-hmm. uh, two-thirds of the wealth of the middle class is found in their home. Mm-hmm. If that's the case for the middle class, and up until 1964, when the Fair Housing Act was passed, black people had a hell of a hard time owning real estate, then only until 1964 could you really, on a larger scale, own, and you don't have that generational wealth to build down. And the reason the government should be in favor of this is because real estate, the stuff that we that we buy and sell, trade back and forth, mm-hmm. the two Entities that should love real estate are banks and the government. Yeah. Because the government, number one, gets to tax the snot <laughs> yes. out of the land. <laughs> so they should love us. So when yes. we go to when we when we go to the legislative, you know, conferences and whatever, we're talking to them. It's like, hey, we sell that stuff you tax the hell out of. Yes. Yeah, how about that? We're realtors. <laughs> they love to increase it, all that good right. stuff. Right. And so the banks love it too, because nobody's gonna come up and just say, Oh, how much is that house? Hold on a second. I got that in my wallet. They yes. have to go to a bank yes. to get the money, and the banks like that because they get to charge you interest on the money. That, yes. Um, so banks and and it's a win-win for everybody. Yeah, right. Banks and, and governments <laughs> love real estate. Yeah. So I think the government should be invested in it, and so should banks. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got enough banks here that would say, hey, we could we could come up with something to give some equity yes. to some of the people that work for us. Yes. 
um, uh, an affordable place to live. So that's neither here. That's a complicated that's a very, way to work I, things out. You know, it's an interesting thought, though, a very creative um, solution to, you know, a challenge that is, you know, when I'm working with clients, especially my first time home buyers, this purchase is about leverage. Yeah. Like this is not the house that you're going to live in forever. Exactly. And you're going to, we are literally like, I want you, it's important that you enjoy mm -hmm. what you find, but it doesn't need to check off every box of every dream that you have for the future. Right. We literally are looking for, especially in our market right now, it's like, we're just trying to get you a great investment because this is going to be the leverage for the future. You're going to use this either, right. you know, buy up, to get you money on the next one, or you can rent it out or whatever, but this is, you know, it's a, it's a starting place and it's most people's biggest investment. Right, and here's where I would direct buyers if I worked with them. Um, and the buyers that I do work with, they're usually for investment, so I don't, yeah. I don't work a lot with them at all. Yeah. Really. I'm only on the list You're not running side. around. Right. All on hope and picture. Finding dreams. <laughs> yeah, so but exactly what you said. You know, when people graduate from high school or college, mm -hmm. You're basically telling them, look, your first job out of college is not going to be your dream job. If it is, you probably have the wrong dream job. <laughs> so the first um, house or place that you own is not going to be your dream house. Yeah. Go and buy that two-bed, two-bath condo that's been sitting on the market forever because nobody wants to live there because they don't want to get COVID. They don't want to be in a building. <laughs> you know, you're young. You can go up eight flights of steps yes. instead of getting in, in an elevator and catch COVID. And if you do get COVID, you'll probably live. Go there because the the condos, um, you know, they're they're not being built as much anymore because it's easier to build the uh, apartments. I've heard it's the fine. That's. One of the issues agents and I are always talking about is what is with all the apartments and can we get some condos because ah, there yeah. are so many of us that want maintenance-free living, but they want to own. Like, we don't want to rent, but yeah, so I here, hear it's a, here's my take a lending on issue. Yeah, here's my it's that, and then if you're a builder, it's a lot easier to build for one customer. Yes. Than it is for 200. Yeah. If you screw something up and, and you go to that one customer and say, hey, man, sorry about that. Let's, let's sit down at the table, figure out how much I owe yeah. to make this right. Whereas if you're building condos, you got 200 exactly. people and you yeah. got 200 different ways and yeah. they're going to say, oh, you got to make me whole. And so you could get locked up in a class action lawsuit. Okay. Plus, if you're a, a developer, it's a lot easier to sell 200 units to one person than it yes. is to 200 people. Yeah. You know, uh, piece by piece. That makes and, sense. And I don't know about you, but I've managed HOAs. I've been the president of HOAs. Oh, I was president of my HOA. I know. Have you oh ever heard anybody that says, I so can't wait to go to my HOA <laughs> meeting on Saturday. <laughs> We're going to have so much fun. I'm bringing a charcuterie board. <laughs> yeah. No. So you, you, even if you had an HOA, you had these uh, condos, yes. it's not like you can get a lot done because nobody ever shows up enough to have a quorum to get business done. Yeah. So you just sit here and like, do we have a quorum? No. Well, damn. Yeah. And you just say, <laughs> you know, who screwed up? Go find them and let's go home and, and, and watch TV or yeah. whatever you do. You just can't get enough people involved. And so you see it's a, lot, it's a little bit more difficult to get things out of the ground okay. and up and running, um, especially along those transit lines. Yeah, um, that's where it's really valuable. Yeah, because they there's just so much opportunity. You want to get it built and get it done and go get on out. to the next yeah. one. Yeah, and these apartments they got up now, it's like an extension of the dorm. Yeah, you know, it, it is. It's like everything you want. <laughs> if I'm look, if I'm building something, man, I'm like, look, I'm gonna have a place where you can get drunk 
and you can eat on the on the base level. Like yeah. you walk and it's like, hey man, it's it's controlled by a card. Either it's just so these kids can get something to eat, drink away their bad day at work, and then just safely ride an elevator up yeah. and go fall on their bed <laughs> as opposed to being out in the street, tripping yeah. and falling, getting hit, and you know, having to figure out the train. Um, you know, but that's just neither here nor there. That's not the, the groundbreaking stuff you want me to be talking about right now. Feel free to edit that out. <laughs> so, David, what do you expect to see? You know, we're closing out 2021. Yes. Looking toward, there's always hope. You know, we end, ended 2020 with, like, hope, and then 2021 was here, and all this crap was still going on, but now we're moving into 2022. Um, what do you expect to see happen here in Charlotte? And, you know, will we continue to grow? Are there trends that you see so continuing or ending? Your normal guest here would figure out a way to put a positive spin and say, <laughs> but I just, I love the truth. Yes. It is so, it sets you free. And yes. guys, it's going to be more of the same. Yeah. The problems that we have, uh, inventory and affordability, yeah. they're not going to be solved right. anytime soon. Yeah. Um, we, you, we, the interest rates, um, the, the, the fiscal policy of the United States government is probably going to continue throughout the year 2022. We're going to have really low interest rates. Okay. Just because they want to continue whatever contribution the real estate industry is making to the GDP okay. to help the economy drive. You may see interest rates creep back up at the end of 2022, uh, maybe early 2023 to around four. Okay. Um, the impact of that is if you bought something at 2% or 3%, um, which I think of a 30-year fix is right around 3% now. If you buy something at 3% now, and then all of a sudden you're a hot shot and you, you get a promotion, you got to move somewhere else. If you have to sell it in a market where the interest rates are 4%, you might not sell it for what you bought for mm-hmm. it. Because those people presenting now as buyers are like, I can't afford as much as you could afford with your two and three percent interest yes. rate because I'm carrying a four handle. Yes. Um, so it may be a little bit harder, but they're not going to have any four. It's, it's, you're not going to see a repeat of seven, eight, nine yeah. because the difference between if all of a sudden you have um, a bunch of uh, inventory flood the market in this particular market mm-hmm. as you did in seven, eight, and nine, the difference is there was no financially qualified buyers in seven, eight, and nine. And this year there are plenty droves. Yeah, you'll yes. have... Uh, Five million millennials turning 30 in 2021, five million more in 2022, and five million more in 2023. They've paid off their student debts. They're ready to settle down. They probably found somebody uh, that they want to spend the rest of their life with. They're ready to do this, but there's just not the inventory there. The inventory is being held, by the way, uh, by two people. Here's who I'm going to point out. Okay. Uh, All those houses and stuff that that, that the builders couldn't sell back in 789, well, investors bought them. This is the first... Uh, 4A, and this is like the, the inaugural iBuyer. Yes. These institutional investors, they come in and they buy all these um, houses at, at um, you know, rock bottom prices because yes. they're buying them not what they're worth on the market. They're buying them what is owed to the bank. Yes. So they're buying it well under, you know, like two-thirds of what they're really worth, and they, they start renting them out. They never lived there. So they're making money off of it. Why would they sell? Because they're making money. Yeah. Even if they did want to make money or they did want to sell, if they did sell, they would take a heck of a haircut 
in terms of taxes. They had to pay a boatload of taxes and yes. capital gains because they never lived there. What they should do, before I get to the second people, because they're more fun to talk okay. about. <laughs> what they should do is um, the NAR needs to go to the government, which we did in 2019, in November of 19, but then the pandemic hit. But we still need to come back and say, look, have all these investors who are heavy Yes. on inventory, release some of this back in yeah. and give them a and break. And you know they want to. Yeah, give them a break. the market's high. Right, give them a break on the taxes if if they sell to a first-time homeowner, right? So a first-time homeowner in this case would be defined as someone who hasn't owned a home in the past three years. Yes. So if I if if I'm an inst- if I am carrying if I'm an investor on all these things and I want to b- sell it to a first-time homeowner, instead of a capital gains tax of X, it would be something X minus something. You'd be a percentage less. So yeah. it'd be an incentive uh, for you to release that inventory, yes. let somebody own. If you're the government, by God, you're still going to get that property tax, you're whether he owns anything. it or she owns yes. it. Um, you just want to you just want to get the hit off of that exchange. Okay. You know, on, off the actual sale when the income comes in. Uh, the government wants to tax you on that big lump sum of income when that investor sells and what they need to do. I think it's, it would be better for the, the government to help people. Because, by the way, people in government right now are governing to get reelected, not to really help people, in my humble opinion. Yeah. <laughs> but um, that's a blanket <laughs> statement. Yeah. But instead of, instead of doing that, um, instead of taxing the full tax for, or capital gains tax, yeah. give them a break. Yeah. If they're helping somebody own their own home. Yep. So I think that should be something. Now, the other people that I'd like to have a lot of fun with are the boomers. Because the boomers, by God, they're redefining what what middle age is. Yeah. Um, so if you're 70, 75, you might still be working because you can. Yeah. Um, you're probably out playing golf. I don't know what you're doing, but if you're a boomer right now and you happen to live, listen to this, you're living your best life. I was like, they're living their best life. Yes. <laughs> That's exactly what I was They thinking. don't have to move. <laughs> they're having fun. So normally if you were 70, 75 years old, and boomers, let's, let's call them 75 average. 75 in the past, you're like, I, I can't go up these stairs anymore. Yeah. I'm going to go to the, the home. I'm yeah. going to go to the place. I yeah. get three square meals a day. Now they're like, I'm going up and down these steps because I'm hiking. I'm playing golf. <laughs> I'm jogging. I'm playing pickleball. They're in my running group. I know. I know. So they don't have to sell. So they're holding their inventory. Yeah. So these millennials that are coming in at 30, ready to go, yeah. they're not getting the benefit of the boomers releasing their inventory yes. because the boomers don't need to go in there. And God bless them. They, yeah. they shouldn't. Yeah. Uh, they should enjoy their lives. Now they're just renovating their homes. Yeah, and that's the other thing. When the lenders come to me and say, what the hell can we do? And it's like, you know, you, you might not get, if you're, if you want to move, um, you don't because there's nothing to buy. Yeah. So I would, I tell the lenders, I mean, just go to people that own their own home and say, hey man, are you thinking about adding on? Let me help you with, you know, a construction loan mm-hmm. or a HELOC or something, that's where you'll get your business because people aren't going to be moving as often anymore because they can't go anywhere because you don't have any inventory. Yeah. Um, and even when you do, it's, 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 it's stuck. And all these people that were like, open floor plan. I think it's great because I get to go home and see my family. Well, now that you've been in the house for two straight years, you're like, <laughs> damn, this sucks. I need to put up a wall here, a wall there, yeah. and maybe add on here. So there's that. Yes. Um, you, you might not get the, the lending business on a new home purchase uh, or a home purchase um, from a new owner, but you would get it when somebody's just renovating or yeah. adding on. Yeah. I think that's kind of where they need to kind of keep an eye out. So, yeah. And so to answer your question, just more of the same. This is what we got to do. <laughs> we got to just weather the storm. And I think these are some strategies that I've kind of just discovered or, or, or kind of just laid out to you. That, yeah. You know, we're, we're, we're going to be experiencing more of the same, mm-hmm. um, but 
for the foreseeable future, but what can we do um, within the context that we are in to try to help get us out? And I think think some of the things I've kind of talked about can help. Yeah, I love that. I think that's part of um, being um, like an industrious society is, you know, we have challenges. So that just means we come up with solutions. That's how businesses are created. That's how... Um, new, you know, actions are taken because a challenge arose and we had to rethink the way that we were doing things in order to meet new So whenever, whenever I invoke the name of the government to help out, the, the one disclaimer I like to say <laughs> is that, you know, anything the government can give you, they can also take away. And yes. governments... Um, That's are, why I like your idea about the, like, just give them a tax break yeah. and incentivize yeah. them if they sell to, because that doesn't really involve, except for the tax break, the government's not really involved. Right. And, and the thing is, the governments, we all have to understand. Because nothing's free from the government. Right. And the government's always broke. Yeah. Every government, every municipality, state government, yeah. they, they always run, need money. They don't I need run money. businesses I need like money. we do. Yeah. And so <laughs> that's the other thing. It's a great point that there's nobody that knows how to own, run a business running the government. <laughs> <laughs> They, they don't look at profit yeah. and loss statements. No, that's why they just keep printing money. And it's, it's now a trillion dollars. Yeah. But they don't have the money, so you got to figure out ways. So one way that um, I recently came across, and I'm still kind of reading it and trying to digest it, is up about 20 miles north of Seattle, Washington, um, Amazon helped. Okay. And Amazon, so Amazon dedicated, you know, a couple of million dollars to affordable housing. Okay. But they restricted it to where, like, major hubs, like Seattle and Nashville, yeah. and there's one other city. Um, but what they're saying is they're putting money into their community and their affordable housing initiatives so that the people that work for their companies That's can afford to live there. That's so great. we can't do that here in Charlotte with Amazon, but perhaps we could do that with Bank of America and Wells Fargo yeah, and Atrium, all these billion-dollar industries. Names here. Yeah, yeah, it would be a great marketing campaign to say, hey, we're going to give $2 million to this fund yes. together, um, and that's going to help. And at some point, we'll look for a partner uh, to purchase and somehow create affordable housing. Yeah. So it, it happened in Washington with Amazon. Um, no government was involved. Yes. It's just yes. a, a way uh, to to generate private equity uh, that that is reinvesting in its yeah. workforce. So it's, it takes somebody big like a B of A and Wells, yeah. and somebody like Amazon. But I mean, it's that's the rock you can look under until you bash <laughs> it against your head and say that's a bad idea. <laughs> so lastly, I wanted to get your take on iBuyers. Oh yeah, how about and that? And their impact on a national and local level. So I look, you know, we did the the state of housing. I asked Dr. Chu, Yong Chang Chu, man, Dr. Chu to me and me and you. He is fantastic. Um, I asked him about institutional buyers because it wasn't in his report. And he okay. Was a separate report, and I think he said maybe around twenty percent of the, the the activity was was in the market okay. in Charlotte's market was through institutional buyers. And I said, are we are are you seeing it in certain um, sectors of the market. And what I was pushing it, I gave a specific example. I said, so I see on the lower 10th percentile, we already talked about this, you have the sharpest increase. Mm-hmm. And I said, do you see them focusing there? Because 
if you're if you're investing in the yeah. stock market, yeah. you want to buy something at the, the least amount of money that has the highest potential, potential realized profit. gain. Mm-hmm. And so with you know almost record-breaking uh, you know increase in, in values. Yeah. You know, the lower you, you start, the more you can profit. So I'm, I'm thinking they probably isolate that lower 10th percentile. And he felt it was a little bit more across the board that they were looking at. Okay. Um, and he said that um, even, even though what the institutional buyers are doing is they have the institutional funding. Yeah. So they have people like all of us that can say, I'll, I'll put 500 down to that. Yeah, I'll put yes. 750. And they all pool together. They can pay cash. Yeah. So with these institutional buyers, the first impact that I see is that um, it's like they're, they make it difficult for families to buy because the institutional buyers, are, it's like they're fishing with dynamite and the families are fishing with like cane pole fishing rods. You yes. know, you, you're, just, you're just doing one at a time hoping and they just come in pooling stuff. The other thing I don't like that I'm worried about, I'll say that, I won't say I don't like, one thing I'm worried about is the, the, the real estate when bought when purchased with common sense, managed with reasonable care, and paid for it in full is about the safest investment anyone can ever make. Okay. Now, I didn't say that. Franklin Delano Roosevelt did. Okay. He got elected president four times. Okay. So he's the smart guy. <laughs> and so th- basically what that illustrates is that the housing market isn't volatile. Yeah. Because you, it, housing is a necessity almost. And so you, you ha- everybody's got to have a place to live. Yeah. But the stock market is volatile. Yes. So when you take the type of strategies and game planning and tendencies from the stock market with these iBuyers and you inject that into the housing market, you're bringing more volatile activity to the housing market. And a specific example of that is if you have to outbid somebody. Let's say your 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 budget to pay for something, a house is two hundred fifty thousand, and you got to outbid somebody by fifty thousand to buy it. Well, how do you re, how do you as the institutional buyer recoup your um, clients? These people that all pooled in to pay for mm-hmm. this. How do you recoup their potential loss? Oh, I'll just increase the rent. So that's it. It, it like shoots up the rental rates. So okay. instead of your rental rates go up by almost. Twenty percent, two hundred dollars, almost. Um, so average, according to the state of housing uh, that Dr. Chu did. So when you buy something, and you overpay for it. You're like, oh, that's fine. I'll just charge the renters more, and it makes renters have to pay more, more, and more, and they can't save to buy, which yes. you know is not much out there to buy anyway. Yeah. But it just takes away. So a fun thing that I saw in L.A. I used to live in L.A., so I casually keep up with it. A city councilwoman in L.A. said, "Hey, we should make a law against institutional buyers. They can't buy anymore." Here, oh, wow. I don't know if you can or can't do that, yeah. but uh, it, it's an idea. And, and what realtors understand that nobody else does is that our industry is unique. Our industry is different. And some of the ways it's different is that we um, we're very transparent. No, no other. No, you don't. You don't see the doctors and the lawyers say, "This is how much money I make when I help you." Yeah. You know, we do that. We're transparent. Yeah. Um, a lot of business models. Um, are analogous to you know games and wars. You know we got to win the war. Yeah. And we got to we got to we got to beat our our opponent in the game of this industry, yeah. or we have to eliminate our enemy in the war of of this yeah. business. Well, in real estate, we cooperate yeah. and compete. Yeah. So I've coined it coopetition. I like it. I know. So we do something <laughs> that is unique. It's my coopetor. Right. So. It, <laughs> Real estate can't be analogous to this type of game and, and war because everybody 
needs a home. Yeah. Whether they rent it or whether they own it, everybody needs it. And so therefore everyone has to win. And when you bring I invest institutional mm-hmm. investors in, it brings in a business aspect where I'm trying to serve my client and not the other person. That's yeah. all I care about. And it and it leaves and, and you and you have losers. Yeah. And you cannot have losers in real estate because everybody needs a home. Yeah. And so that's what realtors understand. Yeah. We understand that even though we're going to fight really hard, I'm going to fight really hard for my client. You're Mm going to fight really hard for your client. That which is best, a commonality which is best is for both your client and my client and me and you to end up at the same table, which is the closing table, and and sell the house. Do the exchange. And whereas other people and other businesses aren't like that. So that's the difference, I think, in the real estate industry and realtors and why institutional buying, it's going to have, I think, a more its impact on our industry, uh, on the housing market is going to be make it's going to be bringing more volatility, uh, more volatile patterns okay. that you see in the stock market into the housing into market, the which sucks, which isn't good. Yeah, you want that slow and gradual. Yes, you know, if I turn around and sold my house now, um, you know, I, and I just bought it, I still have to pay the, the the listing agent to list it. You know, it's an incentive to stay. Yeah. You're incentivized to buy a house. You stay there. You, you, you It takes you a while to build yeah. up that income and that crew. equity yeah. as opposed to just moving here and there and going all over the place. Yeah. Plus, you want kids to st- have have some kind of sense of home and where you belong. Home is important. So it's not a it's not a commodity that I like to see bought and sold as a business, yeah. which is what I buying, institutional buying does. Okay. So, and I gave a plug for realtors just in general that, hey, we are different. Yeah. We structure our business to be successful only when our clients are successful. Yes. Yeah. And, um, and that's good. You know, whenever they get paid uh, or whenever they have a sale, that's when we get paid. Yeah. And I like that about us. Um, I, so. I used to say, you know, your success is my success. I exactly. I used to be in management for a long time. And that, you know, that's just, that's what we do. And we're, to your point, it's not just, it's not a, just a commodity, a piece of bread or, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know, a bar of gold, yeah, something, you know, this is, it's not just a property, it's a life. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a whole vision, dream, goal, you know, legacy, whatever um, the people are working for. So those are some great points. Thank you so much, David, for your time and your insight. This has been very thought-provoking. I loved hearing your creative uh, solutions to some of our challenges here. That makes one person. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's nice to hear some. You know, I'm all. I don't know. I'm always about. Let's get out. of Let's do something different because what's what we're doing yeah, is working. I, I always joke. I was like, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't ever think I have the the idea that's going to solve it, but I have the idea. That'll get somebody to think yes, that way. That will come up with an eventual idea. So you gotta be willing to to have bad ideas. Yes. Uh, to say yeah, that won't work, but if if you kind of take what you're doing and maybe you know tweak it a little bit, tweak it a little bit, maybe yeah. we could do this. And you're like, yeah. And they take it down a road. We're like, I have no idea what they're talking about. And they're like, and and, and this all started with Dave Kennedy. I'm like, really? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> really? yeah I'll take credit. <laughs> so lots of fun. Lots of fun. Thank you, David, for your time. This has been another great episode of Real Charlotte Living. I hope you learned something today. Feel free to send me a comment or if you have more questions. David, is there a way for people to like stay in touch with you or follow you? Or do you have a 
presence anywhere that you want people to find you? Or? Yeah, so the, the, <laughs> the best way to do it is just follow, um, you know, Canopy Realtors Association. Okay. And if you do that, then you see what I do, and then pretty soon at the end of the year, I'll be handing my baton off to Lee Allen. He'll be the president okay. coming in. And so um, this is a role that I fill, and I've got less than a month left in this role. <laughs> So, um, so that's basically the thing. You, okay. I'm here because I, I, I'm just currently sitting in the, on the front porch of the Canopy Realtor Association MLS as the president, and so um, that's just kind of what I want to continue. If people want to find out more about what I'm talking about, this Canopy Realtor Association okay. is the place to do it. Fantastic, thank you. That's a wrap, everybody. Until next week, don't forget to subscribe, and I'll talk to you soon.